The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days. But that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion, right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all sorts of podcatchers. Check them out. Just search The Right Opinion in your podcatcher of choice. It is the logo that is black and white and red all over, like the New York Times used to be. Also available on ratsaladreview.com and hummingmediagroup.podbean.com. Be sure to follow this fine program on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Parlor at right opinion pod all that stuff out of the way Uh, a couple big stories and this is not going to be a very long episode but i felt the need to get something up obviously with some of the big news that broke but before i get quite into the passing of justice ruth bader ginsburg a couple of days ago was constitution day it was the 233rd anniversary of the drafting of the constitution of the united states Obviously, um, there's there's a lot to this document, but I did just want to read the preamble to you guys. This is, weirdly enough, something I have memorized. Uh, I had to memorize it when I was a kid. I am reading it off the paper for what it's worth, uh, just so I make sure I'm getting every little word correct. And uh, basically, this is the preamble. So this is you know the thesis statement of the Constitution. This is what the Constitution is looking to provide the people of the United States, the newly formed United States at this time. And uh, let me just read it to you here, and I'll, I'll break down a little bit of it, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, the passing of Justice Ginsburg here in a second. The Constitution of the United States originally didn't have a title, weirdly enough. It was just started with We the People. So I'll start there. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. And that's the end of the preamble. Then it gets into Article 1, which obviously breaks down all of the powers of Congress, Article 2, which breaks down all the powers of the executive branch, and Article 3, which breaks down all of the powers of the judiciary branch, and obviously goes on from there few other articles that'll kind of, you know, deal with some things in ways of elections and hierarchies and yada, yada, yada. And then you get into the actual Bill of Rights. I, I advise everybody get a pocket constitution or at least download a constitution app on your phone. It's good to just have for quick reference, for instance, like when the 25th Amendment came up in the early days of the Trump administration, I didn't immediately know what the 25th Amendment was. I pulled out my little pocket constitution. I read the language and said, ha, good luck with that one. And they're still trying to play that card to this day and have yet to be successful at it. Nevertheless, let's look at some of the language here. In the preamble, we the people speaks more or less for itself, but just for context, prior to this, we were we were the people that were at you know subjugated to the crown, basically, 
And now we as free people are making the decisions for ourselves and have decided to put forth the following as priorities for what we'd like to see out of our budding nation. And it goes on to say, in order to form a more perfect union, acknowledging in the language of our founding document, essentially, that it is not a perfect union as it stood in 1787, meaning that the founding fathers, the drafters of the Constitution, and largely the same guys who were drafting the Declaration of Independence, recognized that American society was not perfect, but we were looking to form a more perfect union. Not just more perfect than the previous arrangement with us and the crown, more perfect on a broader scale, meaning a, a, a union that is more perfect for all who are a part of it. Now, we all know that at the time, like, slavery existed, right? But, not to make any sort of excuses for slavery, obviously, but at the time, slavery had already been established here. It was already a given. It was the status quo. It was something that was widely utilized across the world. This is certainly not something that's exclusive to America and, frankly, not a problem that Americans brought upon themselves. The British crown, when they moved over uh, across the Atlantic, they brought slave the slave trade with them, and it was well-rooted going all the way back to 1619, as we now unfortunately know because of Nicole Hannah-Jones' New York Times little, um, you know, fucking fantasy project that she's got going over there that won her a Pulitzer Prize, by the way. But... Uh, we understood that there were flaws in our system and that they needed to be rooted out over time. And language like the language used in the Declaration of Independence, including things like we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words were... Uh, you know, obviously not being followed to 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 the extent that we would consider them today. If they were written today, we would look back and go, okay, well, they weren't holding any of this to that standard. They lived in a very different time with very different standards. Unfortunately, they did look at people of of different skin color as less than human. And so, when they're looking at all men are created equal, they did not include those men and women, for that matter, in that group. Over time, our society because of the cultural melting pot that we are, has grown to embrace people of all shapes, of all colors, of all races, of all sexes, of all ages, whatever it may be. We are not a country that is founded on a homogenous society. We are a country that is founded on a society that is comprised of many other remnants of many other societies. It is the melting pot, after all, which does require, on occasion, some melting, but also it allows all of us to infuse all of our cultures into one big creedal culture, which is the United States of America, where we are not defined by a race, by a nationality. We are defined by a creed, and that creed is, that, like I said from the Declaration of Independence, is that we all are made equal and that we are all endowed by certain unalienable rights that are provided to us by our creator that cannot be taken away by government. And for that matter, government's really sole purpose is to protect those rights. And anything that they may be doing to fall short of that means it's time for a new government. That was a long way of, of extrapolating out a couple of words there. Obviously, from there, it goes on to say, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense. So we are going to establish justice, as in we're going to put together a U.S. criminal code, a code that for a while was obviously not equal for all, but I think it's safe to say it is today. 
You could say what you want about the police system, about the ju- about the about the judges, or whatever the case may be. There's certain privileges here, there, or the other thing. The words themselves are very, very vague and are very, very open ended for a very specific reason. It's because they're supposed to apply equally to all, and I think we've come closer and closer to that point over the course of time. It would certainly be hard for anyone to argue that we've gotten farther and farther away from justice for all as time has has grown, because, I mean, obviously we've seen that even the people in this country who've had it the worst over time most certainly do not have it that bad today, which isn't to say that everybody has a perfect, wonderful life. That is not the design of the American experiment, nor is it the design of the Constitution. Um, So we establish justice by creating a system of laws that are applied equally to all, and hopefully we, again, are closer to that now than we were back when those words were written. Uh, Ensure domestic tranquility. We're supposed to try to ensure domestic tranquility, meaning that we need peace here on the home front. Obviously, we're not seeing a whole hell of a lot of that today. Who is to blame for that? I would suggest the media, the education system, the blue check marks, the Hollywood elites, and uh, the Democrat politicians, but obviously... I'm slightly biased on that particular note, and uh, although I can provide plenty of evidence to prove that the- uh, that theory. Moving on from there, provide for the common defense. This one's fairly obvious, right? We are a nation. We need to be defended. We need to provide common defense, which is defense that is not only regular, but obviously it, it, it appreciated and, and, and received by all who lie within the boundaries of this particular nation. Moving on from there, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So we are to secure the blessings of liberty. This is clearly a reference to the Declaration of Independence stating that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the blessings of liberty, if you will, and it is our job to secure those. And frankly, as much as I think that, you know, obviously I'm a bit of an isolationist, wow, as, as it gets uh, in terms of foreign policy, but it is also the job of America to be a beacon of hope and freedom for the world. And while I'm not a huge fan of these regime change wars and all this other stuff, I do feel that the United States, particularly at times where we are prosperous and don't have a lot of particular internal turmoil, which is obviously not today, we are obligated to a certain extent to try to extend the blessings of liberty beyond our borders to other borders. And that doesn't mean we go in there and we just take over and we do what we want to do. But if we see people that are suffering out there that are being denied the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or the right to property, for instance, then the United States, I think, having the principles that we have, the founding core principles of this nation do have an obligation to go out and make sure that other people who are also endowed by their creator with the same liberties that we could try to protect those for others as well. So that's the Constitution of the United States, is that ultimately the whole thing is being designed to establish justice, to make sure that we have peace on the home front, to provide defense for the nation, to promote the general welfare, which by the way, welfare is in all caps, Uh, This does not mean welfare in the sense of today where we think of like a welfare queen, for instance, not to get too much into the stereotypes, but uh, to promote the general welfare. Yeah, it's good for us to have general welfare. That does not necessarily mean that we need to provide it. Notice they said promote it, not provide it. We're not supposed to necessarily be handing out money to people who don't have it as good as others for the simple fact that they 
have had an unequal outcome, we should say, in terms of socioeconomic status. There will always been be inequality in the ways of socioeconomic status. That's just the way that it works. Unless we're ready to break everything down, turn this into a full-blown commie commune, and share everything equally, which never works out, by the way, because nothing ever actually gets shared equally. And by the way, even within communism, they don't share it equally. It's from each according to its ability to each according to its needs. So if you're somebody who's productive, you will be working twice as hard to provide for the people who are not. And we all know that that's just wrong. That is providing you or denying you, rather, your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness when they are taking the fruits of your labor by force and providing them to other people who are not willing to work for them. Uh, it's, it's despicable. It's theft. It's communism. And that's what the Democratic Party is pushing today. They have no interest in this document, the Constitution of the United States. As a matter of fact, when President Trump suggested that we have a more pro-patriotic curriculum in our school systems, they likened him to Hitler. As if Nazi Germany and, and the United States of 2020 are even vaguely similar. The United States of 2020 is, is, is a world power, not because we just went around and just destroyed everything and everyone in our waking path. Not because we hated a, a certain group of people and targeted them. The United States is a superpower because of the principles that are established in the Declaration of the United States and in the Constitution of the United States that allow us to not only have freedoms on a personal and social level, but the freedoms to go out and to innovate and to to create and to be entrepreneurs and to have certain, uh, you know, have more control over our own destinies here than in other places because as much as I like to bitch and complain about the government involvement in a lot of things here, it's not nearly as involved in those ways here as it is in other places. You have much more freedom not only to, like I said, make personal decisions, but to make pro professional business and financial decisions. Not that those aren't all very similar things, but I guess you can look at them independently if you wanted to. Um, you have you have the rights to, uh, to to determine how the fruits of your labor are spent, and in other places that may not necessarily be the case because they're taxing you at a much higher rate. They are taking the fruits of your labor from you. That is not what the United States is is about. It's not what it's ever been about, and Lord willing, it's not what it will ever be about. That said, we are heading into a bit of a constitutional crisis. So let's move into Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She passed away. People were not particularly happy about it. Holy fucking shit, you guys! I'm driving your car, but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died! Fuck! Could this year get any fucking worse? Ruth, you just had to make it to 2021! Uh, as you might imagine, the, the liberals have been holding on to, to RBG for a while here, hoping against hope that she would continue to remain, I guess, mildly sentient. I mean, let's face it. I don't agree with the woman's politics. I never did. I never will. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like she was like this wonderful human being that I think um, uh, I, I think we should all, you know, that I'm going to be personally you know, mourning later on in the day. It's not the case. I'm sad that a human being died. She is a person who, again, despite my disagreements with her, served her country on the on the highest court of the land. As Trump said when he found out live in front of the press corps, she's an amazing woman that led an amazing life. And whether you agree with her or not, she's an amazing woman that led 
an amazing life. I'm not happy she's dead. I am, however, happy she's no longer part of the Supreme Court. There is a distinction, and I'm making it. Make of that what you will. So, do we replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg before the election? Now, everyone's going to immediately call back to, I guess, what was it, four years ago with Merrick Garland, who was nominated by Obama, I believe, 11 months before the election, and the Republicans dragged it out, and people like to say, oh, well, the Republicans didn't want to do this. The Republicans made a stupid excuse. They said, oh, well, it's a, it's less than a year from an election. The American people should get to decide, when in actuality, the Republicans should have just said, we're not ever going to approve Merrick Garland, pick somebody else, and this whole problem would have gone away. So nevertheless, here we are today with the Republicans getting their own bullshit thrown back in their face. Mind you, there's a fair amount of it on the Democrat side as well, because Obama and Hillary Clinton were both amongst a million other Democrat leaders, were very vocal about how we needed to put a ninth Supreme Court justice on the court before the election, because that's just the way things had always been done. If you were the president at the time, you got to make the appointment, regardless of whether it was the first day you took office or the last day you took office. There was none of this year buffer period that the Republicans had unfortunately established in the case of Merrick Garland. That said, I don't give a shit about the Merrick Garland case. I don't particularly care what they said back then. We need a ninth Supreme Court justice, not simply because I want Trump to be able to appoint it, but because we are about to head in to what will definitely be a contested election. So we're going to have a contested election that may very well work its way up to the Supreme Court of the United States as far as determining the outcome. And if the Supreme Court of the United States has an even number of justices on it, we could end up at a dead tie. Who makes the decision from there? It's a, it's a, it's a quandary that uh, almost rest assuredly we are going to find ourselves in unless we put in a new Supreme Court justice. Now, in a world where there was such a thing as bipartisanship, maybe the Democrats and the Republicans could come to terms on somebody that they thought would be a good fit um, that isn't so supremely conservative, not that the conservatives ever actually seem to pick anybody who really is conservative, but the left is is pretty steadfast in picking people that are radical and have no interest in the actual language of the Constitution, as I read to you at the beginning of the show here. They just have their causes, and they will push, and they will justify however they think that they can. And frankly, they're, they're the highest court in the land. So once you get to there, there's no appeal. There's no one to go to beyond that. And whatever they say goes, regardless of whether it's constitutional or not. And we've seen plenty of cases where justices, even including John Roberts, have flip-flopped on issues over the course of time, citing the same language uh, particularly, I think, what what was it? It was it was regarding the abortion law that was passed in Georgia, maybe Tennessee, uh, where he had ruled a certain way this time around, but it had ruled the polar opposite on a previous case that was very similar, I believe, that came out of Texas. So I'm sorry, if you're actually using the Constitution as your source material, you should not have two completely different decisions on two very similar cases. The Constitution says what it says, and you either agree with it or you don't agree with it. You don't get to just pick and choose based on cases. Well, apparently they do, and uh, and maybe there is somebody out there that the Democrats will be willing to allow through. Highly doubtful. We all saw how they treated Brett Kavanaugh. Whoever gets the nomination this time around, should Trump actually put one forth? Honestly, for the sake of this person's life, I would think that Trump maybe wants to hold off until after the election, just because we know they're not going to actually get through. Many Republican senators have already come out and said, we're not going to vote on this until after the election, enough to where it's almost a statistical impossibility for Trump to be able to ram somebody through, short of maybe 
Joe Manchin crossing crossing the aisle, the senator from West Virginia, who often does, by the way, cross the aisle. He's really more of a Republican because of his his voter base down there is a bit more right leaning than uh, your typical Democrat area, particular Democrat senator. But it's it's going to be tough to try to get this through. But again, I feel like it's it's necessary, and it has nothing to do with Merrick Garland, and it's nothing to do with Amy Comey Barrett, uh, Coney Barrett, who I believe will be the replacement, and I'm looking forward to her getting her opportunity to be confirmed, whether it's before the election or after the election. It really comes down to the fact that we need nine Supreme Court justices on hand for when this election is contested, which we all know it is going to be. What what kind of chaos is it going to ensue if we end up with a contested election that, let's say, gets pushed all the way up to the Supreme Court? Uh, there's a certain date that the electors need to go and cast their vote. There's a certain date that if the, we have not determined a presidential victor yet, that the Speaker of the House could potentially end up being the President of the United States temporarily. And, yeah, that would mean Nancy Pelosi— What's going to happen in the streets if we have a contested election? Let's say Donald Trump won initially, but the mail-in votes, much like the left-wing media is starting to predict, starts to push things back in the way of Biden, and we end up taking this all the way up to the Supreme Court, and we have a 4-4 split between the justices. I mean, I think a lot of us are already anticipating violence in the streets. It's going to get real violent. In a whole lot of streets, if we cannot determine who the next president of the United States is, and I'm not looking forward to that in any way, shape, or form. That said, that appears to be what we're looking at right now, is we are going to only have eight Supreme Court justices when this ends up getting pushed up through the court system and is challenged to high hell by either side or both sides. Regardless, there will be a contest, and uh, and it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see how the Supreme Court handles this uh, as of right now. I mean, you'd you'd want to believe that Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh would lean towards Trump, hypothetically, although uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch have broken from the Republicans on many decisions up to this point. Uh, not the same ones, weirdly enough, but they've kind of picked and choose. They're a bit more moderate than I think conservatives would have liked, but they're certainly still more conservative than the left-wing radicals would have liked. It's almost like they're fair because they actually interpret the Constitution. That said, what happens? I honestly don't know. I think it's going to get real, real ugly. It's going to get real, real violent. And the White House is going to be, you know, they're going to have to call in troops. I, 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 I know this sounds like a doomsday scenario, but I'm really, this is the most realistic thing I could conceivably put together at this moment is that we will be looking at not even election night, but maybe even like the weekend after the election because we still won't know who the president is um, Friday night and Saturday. It can get real, real ugly down in D.C. I hope the Secret Service has a plan for where to put the Donald. Uh, I certainly wouldn't box him into the White House. I would find some other mechanism, maybe have him in the air, get him in Air Force One throughout all this because it, that there are going to be people that are going to target him, especially if, if people think that they're looking at another four years of Donald Trump. Most of these people have already had enough, as we all know. And uh, there's a few lunatics out there. See the guy who shot up the the congressional baseball game, and for for them, there's been a few on the other side, on the right side as well. But we've got a lot of real loony people out there, and it's hard to blame them necessarily, right? Looking at the news cycle, it's enough to drive anyone crazy. And then when you consider the gaslighting that's being spewed out there, somebody who might w wake up one day might decide, hey, 
I'm Frank Castle, and it's time for me to go punish some people. And it's unfortunate, but the, the circumstances that we've created here in this country are obviously something that could lead to that uh, between the, you know, the, the gaslighting and education, the complete propaganda that's being referred to as news. It's, it's tough. It, it's really hard for anybody who is just looking at things on the surface level to really have a firm grasp of what's really going on in the world because those outlets have no interest in actually conveying to you what's going on in the world. They simply want you to know what they want you to know, which is largely lies. So that's it. RBG passed away. Rest in peace, by the way. I, again, it's a human being died. Not a huge fan. Uh, I didn't like her, but she didn't do anything personally to me, um, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, I, w- I wish her well in, in the afterlife. I wish whoever gets the nomination to replace her the best. Uh, now, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be an interesting one because obviously the left is not going to be able to go after her the way that they did after Kavanaugh. First of all, she's a woman, so sexual assault charges seem unlikely. She also has seven children, two of which are adopted from Haiti. So racism is going to be a pretty tough, uh, you know, case there for the for the Democrats to make against Miss Barrett. Uh, I assume they will look at some of her more radical, in quotes, really more conservative beliefs. Uh, she's very religious. They will push this as an attack on Roe, which it is. We are attacking Roe. If the right can get a shot at Roe, they should take it. Um, and hopefully Amy Coney Barrett could come in, replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And as Paul Sperry of Real Clear Politics pointed out on Twitter, that might just officially render John Roberts useless, which is great because he's been, he was a Republican appointee, he's the chief justice, and he's been the swing vote on a lot of these cases and has unfortunately gone the way of the Democrats and the liberals on the court more times than not when it comes to the important cases. A Supreme Court with Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Alito, and now Amy Coney Barrett would potentially render John Roberts completely useless. He would no longer be the swing vote. Uh, Gorsuch or Kavanaugh would essentially become the swing vote. And as much as, like I've said, they haven't always sided with the right, I have a little bit more faith in either one of them than I do in John Roberts because I have absolutely no faith in John Roberts. And if John Roberts were the one who had passed away last night, this would be a very different show, and I'd be doing my happy dance despite the fact that, yes, somebody died, and that's unfortunate. But again, I can be upset about them passing but be happy about them no longer being on the Supreme Court. And for that matter, hopefully Donald Trump getting an opportunity to replace them. And I think this election... They're making it about, they're going to make this election now about the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat. I think it's about at least one other seat. I think if Donald Trump wins, Clarence Thomas, and I've mentioned this many a time before, and it is a rogue theory that I'm the only one who's perpetuating out there, but I think if we got about halfway through a second term of Trump and Clarence Thomas was even remotely thinking about hanging it up, he would to allow Donald Trump to select somebody to replace him that could potentially be on the court for the next 40 to 50 years, continuing Clarence Thomas's legacy of being a stalwart constitutionalist and getting nothing but shit for it. It's amazing. You know, the left, they love they love black people. They love people of color, minorities, all that different stuff. They hate Clarence Thomas. I assume he's a coon of some sort. However that works, I don't know how that terminology is thrown around, and I'm not really probably even allowed to use it. But nevertheless, uh, Clarence Thomas is, is, is a, a shining example of, of, of what a person of color can be in this country, a Supreme Court justice 
There's only nine of them. He managed to make it to there. He's not the only person of color on the Supreme Court. Uh, in a country where uh, 13% of the population is black, one of the nine on the Supreme Court is at a, at a minimum. Um, it, it, I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing. I think he's a testament to the type of success that anybody can achieve here. Which, and I don't know Clarence Thomas's background. I don't know if he grew up impoverished or if he grew up with two wealthy family member, you know, wealthy parents in the home. I really don't know. But if this country was anywhere near as systemically racist as they make it out to be, Clarence Thomas would not have been sitting on the Supreme Court for as long as he has. And for it, instead of being an example of what you can do, what you can achieve if you don't let race hold you back, he's called a coon and an Uncle Tom and all of that lovely stuff and was accused of rape by one of his former staffers, which which apparently tried, you know, which almost kept him off of the court. And in, let's face it, in 2016, 2017, if Clarence Thomas was going through the Anita Hill thing and the way that the Brett Kavanaugh thing was going down here, he may very well not be on the Supreme Court today. Uh, thankfully, he is, and he has been the most consistent, I guess, right-wing appointee possibly ever, uh, certainly in my lifetime or my my recollection, and uh, good to have him there. Hopefully, we'll have Amy Coney Barrett there with him, along with Alito Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, and that gives a, that gives a pretty stern majority to the right. Even John Roberts is technically appointed by the Republicans, so that would be a 6-3 to three split, and and that that court is not really going anywhere for a while. There's not a lot of people that there's going to be a lot of switch over other than maybe Sotomayor um, and uh, and and Clarence Thomas. I believe Elaine Kagan will be around for a while, and most of the Trump appointees and and uh, and and for that matter, even the Bush appointees are still fairly young and will be on the court for a long, long time, certainly decades to come. So, all right, one last time, rest in peace to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Hopefully, we can avoid the constitutional crisis that is coming up uh, surrounding this election. It is, after all, the week that the Constitution was drafted right here on the Right Opinion podcast, and I just wanted to drop some of this out there for you, make you guys aware of the situation, some of my predictions, and, uh, and just some of my thoughts about the greatest political document ever written, the Constitution of the United States. And uh, go check it out. Like I said, go download the Pocket Constitution. You don't have to sit down and read the whole damn thing in one sitting. Read a section at a time when you're you know, sitting on the can, whatever it is. Um, it's it's good to know. It's it's certainly good to know today because so much um, so much spin is done on even things that are clearly written in black and white and are not really all that open for interpretation. But the media, we know what they like to do. And if they can, they will keep you misinformed. So don't allow them to be uh, doing that to you, obviously, go out and inform yourself, and then inform your friends, and then grab people and get their asses to the polls on November 3rd. We got a country to save. That said, this is that point in the program where I remind you that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion, and you only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. I'm Harrison Bergeron, and I will talk to you guys next time. Peace. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom.